to Season 3, Episode 3 of Money Talks 50+. Plus. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Rebecca Pearl. I am your host and program specialist for AARP Elderwatch, a 20-year partnership with the Colorado Attorney General's Office that works to make sure older adults are not victims of frauds or scams and they have the tools for financial success as they age. Today, we are diving in about 10 years later than we left off on last week's episode. We are starting with the Sherman Silver Purchase Act, which was passed in 1890. And the reason we're starting with this is because this is a pivotal point in US history where finances come up and people kind of freak out. And this is where we see kind of the convergence between what's been happening with mining in Colorado and the rest of the West, um, how government institutions are starting to form and handle money, and then how women are dealing with all of these challenges as well. The Sherman Silver Purchase Act again, was passed in 1890, and it was passed to increase the amount of silver the federal government had so that farmers' complaints could be eased. Farmers were not able to pay off the immense debts that they had incurred, and miners had an oversupply of silver that was becoming less and less valuable as the days went on. So the Sherman Silver Purchase Act was supposed to boost the economy through inflation, making it so farmers could pay off their debts with, quote, cheaper dollars, unquote, and mining companies could unload large amounts of silver they had extracted from Western mines, including ones in Colorado, um, to the Treasury and the banks. They thought everything would just even out and be okay. Unfortunately, the Sherman Silver Purchase Act backfired as more dollars went into circulation without the same growth in gold stock. And at the time, gold was the backer of any money that was being printed or minted. So the silver dollar, instead of its value increasing, it declined from 80 cents to 50 cents. And this created a mass panic, literally called the Panic of 1853. The public freaked out about their continued ability to convert silver into banknotes and gold. And this freaked them out so much. There was literal mass hysteria where the US Treasury's gold stock had a run on it. There were runs on banks across the West and a credit crunch that resulted in many, many people to pay their mortgages. And the mortgages oftentimes were on super recently built homes. So people would just be completely unable to pay their mortgages and these newly built homes would just stand abandoned with no one in them because no one could afford them. This also made silver basically worthless and caused a lot of mines across Colorado to shudder. Remnants of these mines and the towns they brought with them can be found across the state, including in St. Elmo, which is about 20 miles away from Buena Vista and is uh, considered a ghost town today, despite there being a small population that lives there. 
1893, President Cleveland called an emergency session of Congress to repeal the Sherman Silver Purchase Act in order to stop the drain on U.S. gold reserves. And the repeal was passed both in the House and Senate. But this did strongly divide the Democratic Party between those who supported the gold standard and Southerners and Westerners who supported continued silver purchases. Furthermore, the repeal of the Silver Act failed to stem the drain on the American gold reserves. So at this point, President Cleveland had to sell the gold bonds at a discount to Wall Street bankers like J.P. Morgan in return for their cooperation in stopping the withdrawal of gold and draining the treasury of its gold. What, you may ask, were women doing during all of this? And the answer to that is a few things. First, the bicycle was the newest thing that had been invented, and it turned into a revolutionary tool for women. This was because it changed fashion. Simply that, it changed fashion. At the beginning of the 1890s, women wore very lavish and elegant clothes that showed off their wealth, but toward the end, women started wearing bloomers, um, and this is something we'd think of kind of as a baggy jumpsuit today. But bloomers allowed women ease while biking and did not break the societal rules of modesty. Out were the just kind of stiffy, lavish, elegant clothes that showed off wealth, and in were these bloomers and bicycles. And this also made it so women were able to gather in places that maybe men were not around um, because they had more mobility all of a sudden with a bicycle, where in the past they may have not been able to get as far as they might have liked. And during this time, men were also fully in charge of the institutions and societal standards that we oftentimes point to today. Um, and combination of both a lot of men losing their jobs and not having employment opportunities, um, the, all the issues that come with unemployment, um, and then we also have all of the men running all of the institutions and you know telling women where their place should be in society. So, in a shift in the dynamic between men and women and control and finances from the previous episode where, you know, Julia was divorcing her husband shortly after the Civil War to when we get to the late 1890s and women are forced to stay at home, men are in control of most of the institutions, um, basically all of them, and are making, forcing the decisions um, and societal norms of what they think women should do onto the female population. So during this time, we also see a rise in volunteerism, specifically in groups of women. And a lot of this starts because there's a clear need uh, that is not being filled by government agencies or by other church groups in general. And so women are bored, for the most part, forced to stay at home, take care of the children, 
and they want to respond adequately to the issues that they see constantly around them and in society. So they create many volunteer organizations and this volunteerism spike continues into the 1900s. A lot of these groups set the stage for women's suffrage. Um, and they also set the stage for a lot of education groups, things like Sunday schools to exist, um, came out of women gathering together and deciding that something had to change. Established a better understanding of the roles both men and women played in society and that very limited role that women were forced to take on, we can get back to the Panic of 1893. And the Panic of 1893 is really, really important because it sets the stage for women's suffrage to be successful in Colorado. We've had this crazy economic downturn, lots of people are suffering, lots of people are out of work, out of jobs, homeless, and something needs to happen, right? Um, women, again, are in the height of organizing these volunteer groups and they get together to make the point that women's suffrage should be passed in Colorado. So in 1893, in November of 1893, a referendum was put on the ballot for Colorado voters, read white men, to decide if women could vote equally. Of course, by equally, we mean white women voting equally. Uh, suffrage, of course, took much, much longer for black people and other people of color in this country. And we know voting rights are still not equal depending on where you are and who you are across this country. So this referendum passes and it is huge. It is huge for not only uh, women to be able to voice their political opinions and have a say in what's done in their communities, but it also makes it so that women have power. Simply, they have institutional power and they're able to express institutional power. And this makes it so financial decisions are, well, women are still deeply, deeply excluded from making them, they do, they are able to get information about the financial decisions that are being made in their communities. A lot of women still are obviously not controlling the household finances. That was very much so seen as a duty for men only to partake in, but they do have to control the funds of these volunteer organizations and make sure that there's budgets and that the people that they're serving are getting the things that they need. So this is really, really, pivotal point in history. And again, Colorado is the first state in the United States to grant women the right to vote. So this moment sets the stage also for women to take up leadership opportunities. We do not see any women in leadership opportunities until about the 1900s, but this does make it so that is a possibility. It encouraged other women across the newly founded US to try to pass their own suffragist movements. Um, so this, you know, sparks this political 
change not only in Colorado but in places around it too were a huge win for women in Colorado. The suffrage campaign, well, men weren't terribly worried about it because most women over the age of 19 were married, which meant they didn't vote. At this time, there was an influx of immigrants, and so the suffrage movement might have actually been um, underlyingly racist in that immigrants who were moving in would have less votes than native-born populations if women were granted the right to vote. And even though the suffrage was successful, equal suffrage didn't result in equal political power. There was token female representation starting in 1894 in the General Assembly, but it was totally controlled by men who always elected men to the U.S. Men also manipulated the political levers and only gradual, grudgingly let women have a small share of legislative seats and other positions of power. Furthermore, men were opposed to suffrage time and time and time again. One man uh, at one point when um, hearing about the women's suffrage movement dismissed them as brawling, ranting women bristling for their rights. There is still a long way to go in the fight for equality and especially in the fight for financial equality. And this is where we leave you this week. Next week, we will be diving into World War One and the Great Depression. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit from the end of the 1800s and go dive right into the 1910s. So we'll see you next, next week. And in the meantime, be sure to check your credit report because that is a key way of making sure you are not surprisingly a victim of identity theft. Need resources or assistance to check your credit report? Give us a call at 800-222-4444, option number two, and we'd be happy to help you out.